0: I'm sure that there'd be lots of people just itching to tell me that the meaning of life was 42. And uh, for any of you who are unsure of the reference, the idea that the meaning of life is 42 comes from a famous science fiction comedy called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's a book, it's a uh, BBC radio play, it's a six-part television series, and it's a movie. And uh, the author, Douglas Adams, assumes that we don't know what the meaning of life is, and he assumes that we want to know, but he suspects that ultimately the answer is unknowable because we don't really understand what the question is. Uh, Monty Python, likewise, um, devoted an entire film to the question, The Meaning of Life, and the answer that that film provides is, quote, Try to be nice to people. Avoid eating fat, read a good book every now and then, get some walking in, and try to live together in peace and harmony with people of all creeds and nations. I'm not sure if that's ascending or descending order of importance. You actually may have noticed in your local news agent um, that the popular philosophy magazine New Philosopher recently devoted an entire issue to the question, what is the meaning of life? And it included in the order of of some 40 articles discussing aspects of that question. Um, And the journal notes that uh, curious eight-year-olds, lovesick and heartbroken teenagers, and expiring octogenarians all alike reflect on life's meaning. Does life find its meaning in love or in experiences? Or in family or in duty and sacrifice or in significance and success or perhaps life does not have a meaning Uh, Douglas Adams Monty Python and many professional philosophers all agree that actually the question is meaningless because life does not have a meaning well you can uh, spend your life striving for any or for all of the things that I've just mentioned. You can spend your life striving for love, happiness, truth, beauty, justice, peace, cool experiences, community welfare, likes on Facebook, an end to world poverty, and then travel forward in time to have breakfast at the restaurant at the end of the universe and see for yourself that it all ends in destruction anyway. According to the experts of our age, The obviousness of death makes life ultimately meaningless. Well, uh, today is the final uh, sermon in a series of 10 sermons wherein we've looked at miracles in Mark's gospel. And the basic idea, which you'll be sick of hearing me say by now if you're a regular here, the basic idea is that miracles are an amazingly articulate form of communication. Uh, Miracles tell us so much, it's miraculous. And with that in mind, and given that it's Easter Sunday, today we look at the last miracle in Mark's Gospel, the miracle of the resurrection from the dead, the resurrection of Jesus. And we heard about that miracle from our text this morning. But if you do have your pew Bibles handy, and if they are open at page 829 one thing will become immediately apparent. And that is that since the earliest of times, people have actually been quite dissatisfied with the way that Mark chooses to end his gospel. And we can see that people have been dissatisfied with the ending because people have added to it. And what appears in your pew Bible as verses 9 to 20 is one of a number of alternate endings to Mark's gospel. And although the church has for centuries recognized these verses as canonical, in other words, as holy scripture, it is nevertheless undeniable that the author wasn't Mark. Mark finishes his account at verse 8. But these alternate endings were surely written by people other than Mark for the very reason that, and it's not difficult to understand, they felt that Mark's ending wasn't good enough. And perhaps we can appreciate their point. I mean, in Mark's gospel, in his account, we never actually meet the risen Lord. We, we see with Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, we see that the stone has been rolled away. We see together with them that the tomb is empty. We hear together with them that Jesus is risen from the dead. And we expect... And we imagine that indeed the disciples will meet him when they travel to Galilee. But in Mark's account, we don't go with them. Rather, Mark closes his account with these words. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Uh, so then, the, the alternate endings provide what the other Gospels detail. Um, M- Matthew and Luke and John, we, we, we find that Jesus met with his disciples a good number of times, teaching them and commissioning them before being taken up to heaven in front of them. But if we overrule Mark, if, if we tell him he's out of order, if we say, hey, your ending is not good enough, we're going to add to it, what might we miss? Well, here are a couple of suggestions as to what we might actually miss. Firstly, we may miss the fact that the miracle of the resurrection was a very private miracle. And that's important. No human being saw it happen. The Father raised the Son from the dead, and if there were any witnesses at all, they were angels, not people. Not just anybody can know what happened. Indeed, from all of our sources in the New Testament, we know that Jesus, after his resurrection, appeared only to his disciples in private or in relatively private settings. He appeared indeed to a significant number of people, over 500 in all, but only ever to believers, never to unbelievers. The only exception to that was Paul. Jesus appeared to him, even though Paul wasn't a believer, last of all, in Paul's own words, as to one abnormally born. Now, as we've traveled through this series, we've seen that many of Jesus' miracles were public. In this series, we've looked at Jesus healing the paralytic, healing the man with the withered hand, healing the woman with the flow, uh, the healing of the demonized boy, the healing of Bartimaeus, the blind beggar. All public miracles which drew public comment. But but we've also seen private miracles, miracles that only the disciples were aware of. The the raising of Jairus' daughter, Perhaps even the feeding of the 5,000, which in Mark's gospel is presented to us as something perhaps only perceptible to the 12. And then Jesus, shortly before dawn, walking out on the water, a sign which was certainly only seen by the 12. And lastly, last week, the cursing and the withering of the fig tree, a private sign to his disciples. Nobody else saw it or understood the, the private miracles each establish something important about the identity of Jesus. But you know what? You have to have, have had faith to have had witnessed them. You, you needed to be a disciple to see those miracles. You, in other words, you needed to have already believed what God had to say about his Son. Through, through the lips or testimony, perhaps, of John the Baptist, or through the scriptures, or through the testimony of the public miracles themselves. You needed to take a step of faith. You needed to believe what God had to say about his son and to, to fall in as a follower of Jesus in order to gain access to the more privileged information of the private miracles. So then, uh, Jesus died very, very publicly. Naked on a cross. In front of hundreds or perhaps thousands of witnesses. Everybody can know, everybody does know about the death of Jesus. But he rose from the dead privately. Here's the second thing that Mark wants to tell us. And from how he ends his account... You don't meet Jesus in a book. You don't meet Jesus in the pages of a book. As far as Mark is concerned, you never meet the risen Jesus in the pages of his book. And of course, you don't. You see, what all of the New Testament New Testament witnesses want you to know is that a Christian is not simply someone who knows that Jesus has risen from the dead. No, rather, a Christian is someone who knows the Jesus who has risen from the dead. Scripture is helpful. It's essential that we believe what it has to say, but it isn't an end to itself. Scripture is useful. It it tells us that it's useful. And it is useful. But it is pointless unless we actually meet the author for ourselves. A Christian is someone who is convinced that Jesus is alive, not because the Bible tells them so, although of course the Bible is right to tell us so, and we are right to believe it, but rather a Christian is someone who is convinced that Jesus is alive because they themselves have met the risen Christ. Mark makes this point. So, in considering the resurrection, what does the miracle of the resurrection tell us? What does it, firstly, what does it tell us about Jesus? Well, it tells us that the Father has vindicated the Son. It tells us that Jesus was right about everything. He was right about everything he said and everything he did. Jesus claimed in word and in action to be God with us. And the Father has vindicated this. Jesus is God with us. That's what the resurrection tells us about Jesus. What does the miracle tell us about what Jesus came to do? It tells us that Jesus came to save us from sin, death, and condemnation. The resurrection shows us that the cross worked. That it was effective jesus suffered death so that we don't have to and the resurrection shows that it was effective it worked that's what the miracle tells us about what jesus came to do and what does this miracle tell us about ourselves well it tells us that we have eternal life when we put our faith in jesus of nazareth um, knowing, that, knowing that we have eternal life is wonderful, it's fantastic, it's, it's really quite a relief. Phew, thank you very much, that's great news. Um, however, we, we might actually be slow to work out the significance of this extraordinary gift that we have been given, because you see, the gift of eternal life means that death doesn't win. And if death doesn't win, then life actually does have a meaning. Douglas Adams, Monty Python, and the philosophers of this dark age, they're all wrong. Life does have a meaning, and we can know what it is. Uh, the, The resurrection of Jesus means that indeed what we do and what we say and what we think not only is important, but indeed actually has eternal significance. Life actually is not, not in, indeed, it's not meaningless. Rather, it is unimaginably meaningful and significant. Life is not meaningless. Living life for and with Jesus puts everything in a framework that passes the test suffering is no longer longer pointless. God will redeem it. Failure is no longer a disaster. God will redeem that too. Um, It means that I I don't have to worry about getting as much out of life as I ought to be getting because God knows me and he loves me and he knows what's best for me and he reigns sovereignly over my life in Christ Jesus. So I don't have to worry about Whether, when I look at Facebook, I'm getting as much out of life as I ought to be getting. It it means that we can live life confidently, that we can actually strive, contend, build, sacrifice, suffer, and die with the assurance that there is meaning, purpose, a point, a reward, an answer, justice, mercy, and compassion. Yes! Yes! The resurrection of Jesus makes it so. But this is a very private miracle. Only Christians can know the answer. For those who reject Jesus, life will continue to be a mystery and perhaps even a joke with a bad taste ending. We therefore have a job to do. Our job is to tell people that the risen Jesus, he is Lord. Our job is to tell people that Jesus has risen from the dead and to introduce people to the risen Lord. We, and only we, have the information that can make existence on this rock worthwhile. It is an That comes with the astonishing privilege of eternal life. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. He is risen. Amen.